Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. I've got two episodes for you during New York Comic Con to uh, tide you over, maybe uh, give you something to listen to as you're driving to the con or driving back from the con. But uh, if you're listening, the other episode I've released today was another Terrificon panel, Superman at 80, a great discussion with Pete Tomasi, Paul Kupperberg, Jerry Ordway, and Roger Stern. A really great discussion. I enjoyed doing it, and I recommend you listen to it. And then, uh, of course, we've got a Marvel history panel now, and uh, that's with uh, Dave Michelini. Uh, It's great to have him back to talk about the origins of Venom. Did you try to turn him into an anti-hero while you wrote him, or did that happen post uh, your time with Venom? I didn't want to turn him into an anti-hero. He was a psychotic murderer. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But he, uh, I was offered, that Marvel wanted to spin him off into his own series. Uh, I declined. They said, uh, okay, well, how about we do a miniseries? I declined. They were going to do it. I figured, okay, they're going to do this. I I had a great affection to this character. So I said, okay, I'll I'll do the miniseries. Dave calls himself the originator of Venom. Uh, He says, of course, and acknowledges that Todd McFarlane is the co-creator when we finally see Venom. But uh, figured with the movie coming up, I wanted to hold it for Venom Weekend. Um, I think it's an interesting challenge, and I know that the early word is that uh, the movie's great. I'm not surprised. Tom Hardy's an incredible guy. Uh, we all know where special effects are now. It's uh, it's the right time to do a Venom movie. And we got a taste of it, I guess, in Spider-Man 3. We talked a little bit about Topher Grace's portrayal. But uh, Dave is really here to talk about the comic book beginnings of the character. And I got to be honest, maybe you sensed this when I talked to Ryan Stegman a couple months ago. I know he and Donnie Cates are doing a wonderful job. It's uh, really popular and, and certainly... Uh, Venom is enjoying a renaissance, not just because of the movie, but because of great creators like Stegman and Donny Cates doing an incredible job. And we're getting the Venom series first host as well. I got to be honest, I wasn't a big Venom guy. I appreciated him when he first started. But kind of as I say to Michelini, I I just didn't understand the need to, uh, you know, turn him into kind of an anti-hero. Um, I'm not even sure where his position is. And also my feeling that if Spider-Man's not in the story, kind of don't care. That's just me. And uh, thankfully, there were a lot of Venom fans in the audience to ask good questions. And Dave kept the conversation going. But I got to be honest, I'm kind of a doubter when it comes to Venom. I certainly was, and I made that very clear in the panel, not a Carnage fan. Uh, and Dave, I, I didn't mean to embarrass him, because, and I don't think I did, but I was embarrassed when I realized, of course, Dave created Carnage as well. But he talks about Carnage and, uh, you know, Venom's place in the in the Marvel Universe. Uh, I, what happened with the character after Dave left, and he pulls no punches, um, but doesn't uh, bury any names or anything like that. So I think it's a really another neat discussion about uh, both what happens on the page and behind the scenes. You'll excuse me, I'm still getting over that cold. It's been a week. It's insane. Uh, But a great conversation today uh, about the uh, origins of Venom with uh, Dave Michelini right here on Word Balloon. This episode of Word Balloon is brought to you by Aftershock Comics. They're shaking things up at your local comic shop right now. Great series. I mentioned Donnie Cates. Well, you know Baby Teeth with he and Gary Brown, one of the big Aftershock books. Animosity by Marguerite Bennett and Raphael de la Tour. And A Walk Through Hell by Garth Ennis and Goran Suzuka. I happened to notice the first new issue uh, today when I was at the comic store. Also, new titles like Lollipop Kids from Adam and Aiden Glass and Diego Yapur. That's a brand new book that's out this week. And certainly we had a wonderful conversation with Adam and Aiden on our last episode. Beyonders from Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair and Hot Lunch Special from Elliot Real and Jorge Fornes. You can check out what's rumbling now with preview pages, also full story descriptions and the diamond codes on how to order these books through your local comic shop at AfterShockComics.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your support through Patreon. Uh, Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you like what I do here, and uh, you'd like to help support the cause. It is uh, partially uh, due to the uh, kindness and subscriptions of the League of Word Balloon listeners that I'm able to go to New York Comic Con. I will see everybody there, and I thank you very much for your support. 
If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon, as I say, it's free. It will always be free. But if you can and want to help the cause, go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or click on the Patreon ad right there on the front page of wordballoon.com. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. All right, so let's get into it. This was um, Friday night, the first night of uh, Terrificon, and it was my third panel in a row. And man, I was tired, but it was a pleasure to uh, sit down with Dave Michelini and get the true story behind Venom. It didn't start the way you thought it did. So uh, let's uh, get into that now with Dave Michelini on War Balloon. Dave, it's a pleasure to talk to you again, and uh, very much so about uh, your incredible creation. First, we should start with the origin story of, of Venom. How did the character come about? Is anybody interested in the origin? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Most of them are, yeah. So, <laughs> nearly all. What is it? The okay. symbiote, correct? Secret War? Okay. Um, the symbiote, alien symbiote, of course, came from Marvel Secret Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. <clears throat> Uh, and it was hanging around in the Marvel Universe. It had been uh, removed from Peter Parker because it wanted to bond with him permanently. Uh, whenever I, I, I may have told people this at my table, so forgive the redundancy, but whenever I try to, whenever I write a character, I try to exploit his or her unique elements. And with Spider-Man, everybody knows that he's strong and he can climb walls and he web swings and everything, but what, Fascinated me was his spider sense, which was uh, an early warning sense that if something is danger uh, is there, it warns him. Uh, if someone's going to hit him in the back of the head, it warns him. And he's gotten so used to it that it's, it's like a, a reflex, you know, hitting your uh, your knee, doctor hitting your knee, and it goes like this, and he moves out of the way. You become come to depend on it completely. And I had the idea, well. What if there was a really nasty bad guy who was very dangerous, wanted to hurt him or kill him, and didn't trigger the spider sense? That fascinated me. Okay, what? What would that do to Peter Parker's confidence? He he he, he depends on this. It saved his life hundreds of life hundreds of times. What if someone it didn't trigger the spider sense? And the symbiote had been established that it did not trigger his spider sense. So I, I figured I'd better put it on some guy. He wants to kill him. Why does he want to kill him? Okay, initially, Venom was going to be a woman. Uh, I had had an idea where there's a woman who's about to give birth. Uh, her husband runs out, you know, tries to find a flag down a cab. Spider-Man is fighting someone in the distance. The cabbie's watching that instead of where he's going. He hits the husband, kills the husband in front of the woman. She miscarries and goes into a coma. When she comes out of the coma, she blames Spider-Man for the death of her husband and her child. That hatred draws Venom symbiote, the symbiote, to her because it hates Spider-Man because it's, it, Spider-Man rejected, Peter Parker rejected the symbiote. They come together with their, their hatred and try to kill Spider-Man. I thought, okay, I started setting it up and web is Spider-Man. There are two uh, little asides, basically, when one's, uh, Peter Parker is standing on a, a subway platform, a hand comes out of the crowd, pushes him in front of the train. Okay, he jumps out, he's in here. Why didn't his spider sense do trigger? <laughs> what happened? My, I've lost my spider sense? It goes on a couple of issues and he's still got his spider sense. And then he's, Spider-Man's on the side of a wall, another issue of Web of Spider-Man. Hand comes out of a window, grabs him by the leg, slings him off. It happened again. What's going on? And then I was transferred to Amazing Spider-Man. So uh, editor Jim Salcrop wanted to do something with issue 300, something special. He <clears throat> suggested, how about we introduce a new hero or villain? I said, well, I got this character I was developing in web, and I told him about it, he liked it, but, and Jim's supposed to be here tomorrow, so you can, you can, you know, talk to him about this. He didn't think, at the time, uh, fans would really believe a woman standing toe-to-toe -to -toe physically with Spider-Man. That, of course, won't happen today, you know, we all know, but I said, okay, well, he asked if I would change it to a man, so I came up with a different, origin, which is the Eddie Brock origin, uh, where he believes that Spider-Man destroyed his, his career, and it's kind of tipped him over to the other side, and he hates Spider-Man for destroying his life and his career, and that draws the symbiote to him, and then they became Venom, and that's the origin of Venom. How long was the Venom saga? As you say, it started in Web of Spider-Man, then went to Amazing. Um, 
you know, was it was it always uh, like a C plot or a B plot while other things were going on, or was it was it in the forefront? Oh no! Whenever you're doing a, a regular series, you're working on it for several years. You've got a story, and they're setting up other stories behind that, and little asides and little uh, flashbacks, little one-page things, so that when you finish the one story, you've got something you can bring to the to the forward and play with that. And that's what I was doing with Venom. I was setting stuff up with these little teasers, and eventually planned to bring him, her at the time, uh, into the story of their own. So it, it was took place over, gosh, I guess maybe a year or more before we actually brought Venom into it. Who was the artist that uh, co-created, or would you say you created Venom? Who was the artist that visualized Venom? I originated Venom. Okay, all right, there are your words, absolutely. Ben. Well, it could be argued that whoever drew that first teaser of the arm pushed That's it. fair enough as well. But of course, uh, no, uh, Todd, Todd Farley. It was Todd, okay. Yeah, oh yeah, no, he, all right. he did a wonderful job. Yeah. Sure. He was, it, was, it was great, we had Todd McFarlane and Venom and, you know, at the same time. Beyond the villainy from a writing standpoint, because I was just, I had, uh, Ryan Stegman was supposed to be part of this panel as well, who's currently doing Venom with Donny Cates, and uh, Ryan unfortunately had to cancel, but um, I, I was asking him from a visual standpoint, you know, the differences in terms of drawing Venom versus Spider-Man, and I would ask, uh, from beyond the obvious villainy, just the, the physicality of Venom or anything else? That, that makes it different from, you know what I mean, from, from a, you know, both, 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 a, both a personality and, a, and an action standpoint, but well, writing Venom. Probably go on for hours about personality, but physically, um, the, the abilities of the symbiote and the, the vision, visual, of the symbiote had been established before, because it was the same costume that uh, Peter Parker wore as Spider-Man for a while. Secret Wars, yeah, and yeah. then after. And afterwards, yeah. when it came to Earth, yeah. And in my plot for issue 300, Amazing Spider-Man 300, I specifically said, this guy's muscular, this guy's a weightlifter, he's, you know, bulk. So that right there, uh, you got Peter Parker and the, uh, his spider abilities give him more strength. Here you've got a, a guy who says the symbiote and it increases his strength, but he starts out from a much stronger level Spider-Man. Sure. So he is stronger than Spider-Man with all the other things, and without, you know, jerking the spider sense, etc. So that's, that's about the only thing. I did initially, when I described the first appearance of Venom, I said he starts to grin, and then he grins, and the grin doesn't stop. It goes almost right back of the head. Sure. And uh, Todd did a great job of that. So Absolutely. That was about the only visual things that I... I asked for a different well, yeah, we got to fill an hour, so we should talk about the psychology of of Venom and Eddie Brock and and what uh, what motivates him. And um, I, got, you know, I was I, I I appreciated Venom as an as a villain. Were you? Did you try to turn him into an antihero while you wrote him, or did that happen post uh, your time with Venom? I didn't want to turn into a hero. He's, he was a psychotic murderer. Yeah, you know? yeah. But he, uh, I was offered that Marvel wanted to spin him off into his own series. Uh, I declined. And they said, uh, okay, well, how about we do a miniseries? I declined. <laughs> and they were going to do it. I figured, okay, they're going to do this. I, I had a great affection to this character, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do the miniseries. It was supposed to be a four-issue miniseries, and after I agreed, they made it six. <laughs> but um, it's, it's like, okay, he's got two motivations. His primary motivation is to kill Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. He's psychotic. He's focused on that. But he sees himself as a victim. He is Spider-Man's victim. And it was, maybe it was too subtle for some people, but that was his secondary motivation. I even, I wrote... I'm right now I'm, I'm trying to do an eight-page Venom story for the first Venom annual, and I'm done. Crazy. I, I've read a lot of my old stuff, and there's one thing where Peter Parker, I think it was in the Eric Larson uh, time, that uh, Spider-Man and Venom are, are fighting each other in Central Park. They fight for, fight for four pages, and then uh, a child is knocked off a bridge, a baby, into the water. Venom stops fighting Spider-Man. He goes and he saves the baby because the baby's innocent. He feels he was innocent. Spider-Man ruined him, so he has to protect innocence. I, I, I focused on that as his second um, motivation and sent him away from New York so he'd be never knew Spider-Man, so he would kind of forget or we could ignore his primary goal to kill Spider-Man. 
and I set it in San Francisco and set up this, this, this community that kind of took him in and he became the protector, uh, the lethal protector, the protector of innocence and focused on that. And I left and I, hope, I said, okay, I hope whoever comes after me uh, realizes what I've done and then follows it. But that was the reason he became, I was involved with making him a man a hero. That wasn't what I planned initially. Yeah, I, um, it, and also, well, two things. One, I, they did try and, and probably would have continued with a Joker series over at DC as a villain at, in the lead, but it was the DC implosion that canceled that. The popularity of Venom, it, was it ever discussed as opposed to anti-hero that you could have Venom be a villain and, and let's throw him out against the entire Marvel Universe of other heroes and stuff? Would that have been interesting? No, not to me. Okay. Yeah. Now, one thing I also realized in my time at Venom is I was asked, well, in that save page story, I'm supposed to have a, a tell a, a backstory of, of in the from a villain's viewpoint. It's it's basically three stories. I did one of them. Supposed to do one of them. Okay. And 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 I realized that when I was reading, I, his enemy was Spider-Man, and pretty much whenever I included him, he wanted to go Spider-Man. That was his very. Purpose pure, of being. His pure motivation, his yeah. pure goal, just yeah. to kill Spider-Man. I've had people say, oh, it's cliche, they all want to kill him. Think back, no, they don't. They don't even want to find Spider-Man in, in, anywhere. They, they don't want to fight him, they don't want to look for him. The only time they fight him is when he interferes with their criminal activity. And they have to fight him. They don't want to fight him. He's better than them. So, anyway, where was I? No, it's, this is what I'm wondering in terms of him facing the rest of the Marvel Universe. I, I noticed that I, I almost never had him fighting other villains. He was always against Spider-Man. I think Sticks and Stone were one that well, what we focused on is Black Cat. There was like one four-page sequence there. But uh, to have him fighting other villains, why? Why would he want to do that? He wants yeah. to kill Spider-Man and protect that distance. You know? So, no, I wouldn't have done that. I understand, and that's that's the thing. I only think, I, forgive me, and honestly, I don't mean to besmirch Venom fans, but really, I think the only time he really works is when he's opposite Spider-Man. I mean, that's that seems to me to be the, the real, like you just said, key to the character and everything, and that, yeah, that's his reason for being. And that and that's why, and, and again, please, I'd love to hear people say, are you nuts? Venom is awesome because X, Y, and Z. But I'm like, I just feel like that's, like, that's his thing. And it's like, all right, that's cool. And you get a guy like Michelinie that can, that can do it and everything. And other people have written decent Venom stories and stuff. But yeah, I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm amazed by the phenomenon that came after Venom. Were you amazed by his amazing popularity? And, and good Lord, we're about to have a movie for Christ's sake. And we know we're, we'll be talking about that. But, you know, did it surprise you in terms of how popular he became? It pleased me. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad it became very popular. I haven't read any of this stuff because okay. I, I, when I leave a character, if I either created it or, or handled the character a long time, grown to have, have affection for the character, it's almost never, what, what comes later is never what I would have done. It may be good, it may be better, but it was never what I would have done. So, uh, I, But what I've heard from it is, I, don't, I wouldn't have taken it into space. <laughs> I wouldn't make an agent with guns. And I went, okay. Flash awful. Thompson is Venom. Hmm? Flash Thompson is Venom. He was Venom for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rick Remender. Well, I, I would have liked to have taken the symbiote for a few issues and put it on different people just to show that, no, that's not Venom. <laughs> Eddie Brock and the symbiote is Venom. But you got a symbiote with someone else, it's something else. Okay, yeah. that was going to be another question then. Yes, all right, so Venom is that amalgam of Eddie Brock and the symbiote. That is the only... Well, and That's again, well, and I think you're right. And I, and I mean, and again, when I checked out from comics for a while, and I came back and I'm like, why is Venom brown? And so, oh, no, 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 that's Carnage. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then people explain Carnage to me, and I'm like, well, you got Venom. Why do you need Carnage? It didn't make sense to me, other than the fact that clearly this was another crazy person. Cletus was, was crazy. Would you let me tell you why? Absolutely, sir. That's why I'm here. Okay. I'm here to get your knowledge. Absolutely. <laughs> Along with a lot of readers missing the whole point that he, he protects innocence, he, he values the innocence in other people, um, a lot of people miss the point that he had a sense of morals, a twisted, perverted, sick sense of morals, but a sense of morality and ethics. He thought he was the good guy doing good stuff. A lot of people missed that. So I thought, okay, what if there's another character that has pretty much his same powers, 
but is a total, is totally asocial, a sociopath, doesn't have these. And I created venom um, carnage to, to show the difference between here's venom and what he does. Here's this other guy that has his pretty much similar powers, but no moral sense, no okay. sense of ethics. Look, here's the difference. They're not saying they're not. Okay. So that's why Carnage came along. All right, there you go. And I, I appreciate the explanation. Absolutely. So, um, have you what? Have you heard anything about the movie? Have they have they talked to you at all? No, not at all. I've seen the trailers, and that's it. Yeah, me too. I, I like Tom Hardy. I think it's an interesting choice. What did you think of before we get to him, Topher Grace, in his brief moment? I thought that they, got, they macked up the costumes mixed up. I thought David Hayden Hayden Church would have been a pretty good Venom instead of a Sandman. I thought Topher Grace would have made a pretty good restaurant waiter. <laughs> Do you guys have uh, some Venom questions for, for Dave? Because uh, I, uh, I, 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 like I said, I, I, I'm intrigued by the film. I will definitely see it. Tom Hardy's a fantastic actor. And I think, you know, and also it seems like Sony has kind of understood that they need help when it comes to the Spider-Universe, mm -hmm. and, and that's good. And I think, you know, God, what did you think of, uh, not, not to get off the Venom subject, but what did you think of Homecoming and, uh, and also uh, his appearance in the, in the Avengers movies so far, Spider-Man? I love the actor who played him. Yeah, Tom I thought that was terrific, Tom Holland, yeah. I hated the series suit. I mean, you know, suddenly, I mean, he's... Spider-Man series suit. Yeah, and now he's got a suit that tells him how to do this, tells him how to do that. No, it's Peter Parker, the kid, the human being. That's what he invented web shooters. He's brilliant, but he's still a kid. You know, and now he's got this suit, and it sends him over there, and it does this, and it flies, and it jumps, and it turns green, and that's everything. You don't need that. You got Iron Man. Yeah. So yeah. I, I hated that part of it. Fair enough. So I was sure. disappointed, but I like the kid. Like but better than uh, maybe those original Sam Raimi films in that Peter is an inventor again and is making his webs versus the organic web shooters and that again, yeah. I remember that great debate of the early 2000s. <laughs> well, I liked the first one, the first Sam. Sure. I thought it was really good. They were really close to that. The, no, nothing to say about the second and third films, obviously. Uh, they were okay, but they didn't. The second one was okay, but the third one, I mean, come on, you know. He's dancing around, he's doing his... Oh, yeah. Uh, no, it gets him. John Travolta, and he smacks his girlfriend. No, that's not Peter Parker. I'm with you. I'm with you. Jeez. Venom question. Um, Two-part question, actually. One, um, what was it about Venom? Was it just part of that being psycho, uh, a psychopath that... Why do you want to eat his brains? <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, I I'm rereading... Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and one of the things I'm struck by is sort of how they gave him powers, uh, and, and the way Van Helsing sort of lists them out. And that's what's cool about Venom, too. Do you think about that when you create a character? Um, do you sort of think, okay, well, what's, like you mentioned with the spider sense, you, with Venom it was fire and sound that affected the suit. Do you think about that before you start writing it, or? You start to sort of go in the direction and know things come to you as you go. We well, have to think a lot of stuff out uh, before you start telling them what to do. But uh, I think the best characters are those that grow organically with the story, with their experiences. They learn. And as you're writing them, you're learning about them too. But I mean, of course, I knew what the symbiote did and uh, you know, the, the camouflage ability. You can instantly, like, suddenly he looks like it. You know, it can be, you know, he was a cop. You know, he said he's got a cop hat and a gun and everything. With the, the, the symbiote can emulate those things. And, you know, his, uh, you know, his webbing, the whole thing about, yeah, you got to know what, what's going to hurt him. you got fire and sound. So those are, I know, sound had already been established. I think firehead. And, uh, yeah, you know those things. And then as they go on, well, I remember, but you got to be careful about it. I, I remember when the, I will, I will mention no names, but uh, Jim Salakrow, I just mentioned a name, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's a good one. Jim Salakrow was very proprietary with Venom when he was editing the book. He, he didn't let other people use Venom. He didn't make me do a new Venom story, say, okay, we need to make some more money, put Venom in. He let me come up with a, he made me write a Venom story when I came up with something new to do with the character. 
And I think that was one reason the popularity is when everybody got a, a Venom story, they knew they were going to get something new. Um, but uh, when the editorship changed, the new editor's uh, <sighs> viewpoint, he was much more commercially oriented, and he opened the door to anyone who wants to use Venom. And that he himself was the first person to write Venom after me, and he gave Venom two powers that he had never had before and didn't explain it. Suddenly he could sense when Peter Parker was near him. It's like, okay, I wrote him for like two years, he couldn't do that, why can't he do it now? So you gotta be very careful when you're, when you're creating stuff, when you're creating powers and abilities. Uh, explain them and be consistent. And did you, would that answer oh, this the first? Brains. Why, why do oh yeah, why does he want to eat brains? <laughs> He's hungry. <laughs> I think it was the whole thing, some of the, I mean, the whole uh, Hannibal Lecter was like, you know, father beans, <laughs> yum, yum, you know, just nuts, you know, to eat people's brains, kind of taking it several levels beyond that. I, it was just silly. I like silliness. Sir? I was going to ask you, it seemed the Amazing Spider-Man had a great tradition of the anniversary issues. 100 was very memorable, and the arms 200, the burglar. Of course, 300 was, was your great work, and 400 on me. Well, really should have died from the death of M.A., yeah, yeah. It was a shame. Do you think that somewhere along the lines, the quality, especially of Amazing Spider-Man, when they started to publish more frequently than the once a month, and they came out with a much uh, heavier production line, do you think the quality overall, specifically with Amazing Spider-Man, over the years has suffered? I can't speak overall, because if I haven't read the books, I don't know if they're good or bad. Spider-Man, again, once I, I left Marvel, uh, I, I rarely read any of the Spider-Man stuffs, but while I was working for it, yeah, the quality diminished. Mainly because the, the editor... <sighs> okay, when I was... You can check out, I, I did two or three years of Spider-Man. There was never a fill-in issue. I, I, my plots were on time. Todd McFarlane's pencils were on time. My scripts were on time. Uh, you'll notice after, in the next couple of years, after the editorship changed, suddenly there was a two-issue uh, fill-in writing. And then another eight issues and a couple more fill-ins. Because the editor wasn't doing his job. He wasn't getting the work done. I remember you talk about anniversaries. The editor wanted the penciler was doing four pages a week, which, if if you know math, is four times and that's 16 pages a month and a 22-page book. You're not going to get any ahead on that, and that cost me both money and it cost the book continuity of viewpoint. Because I think one of the reasons it sold well and continued to sell well through three artists when I was writing, because you had that continuity of viewpoint, the way the characters are handled, uh, the way they react because I was writing had one, not me, I'm not the great, but he had one person doing it. And so you knew that there was this continuity. And I remember when we got to issue 350, the editor decided it was gonna be double issues, we 40 pages. I told him, look, we've got a pencil that's doing 16 pages a month, and you wanted to do 40? He said, yes, well, it's, a con it's an anniversary, I wanna do it. I said, okay, we got another artist coming in. 350 was gonna be the last issue of this, this other artist. and. Uh, I said, okay, well, let's bring in that guy and have him do it, uh, do issue 349, at least pick up some time there. He said, no, I'm not gonna introduce the current, or I'm not going to insult the current artist by, by bringing in someone else. So you notice, okay, issue 350, 350, I think 353 was, a, was two issues of fill-in that took the book away from me, because we're so far behind. I, I, I think, you know, I don't know what they're doing these days. You know, they're, they're rebooting re everything every two years. They're desperate, they have no idea how to get the audience. I think they've lost a huge amount of audience for what they're doing today. On the other hand, they've got a, a solid audience. It's small, but if you brought like me or anyone back and do old school stuff, you probably wouldn't bring back that old audience because they're off doing other things. And the new audience wouldn't like it, it'd probably be death. So, okay, I, I think the quality is falling, but that's just my opinion. Uh, sales have fallen tremendously. Uh, I remember when doing Iron Man, we started doing, Bob Layton and I were co-plotting Iron Man. Uh, it was selling about 185,000 copies a month. And it was very middle of the road. And when we left, it was like 235,000 uh, a month. 
These days, you look at the top 100 comics, anything below the top 10 isn't even making 10,000 issues a month. I don't know what they can do. Uh, I just, I don't know. <laughs> just go stick to movies, maybe. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's the transition now is the majority of fans are watching the film and television products versus the comics. I mean, when, you know, mm -hmm. back in the 70s and 80s, you know, if you wanted Spider-Man, with the exception of the short-lived television series, we, we, you know, we got our Spider-Man fix either in the newspaper or in the comics and everything. It, we're back to Venom, um, the relationship between the symbiote and Eddie Brock. Uh, and have we ever learned the symbiote's backstory? Is does he come from a planet? Oh yeah, symbiotes. And, and well, that, they actually did a four-part flipbooks in a ser series with uh, Scarlet Spider on one side and Planet of the Symbiotes. In fact, the movie makers said that uh, they based their movie on um, Lethal Protector and Planet of the Symbiotes. Oh wow! So the the, the movie coming up. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I don't know about that. Well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. Too many symbiotes. Well, I can appreciate that, but again, you gotta, you do have to come up with a backstory that's separate from Secret Wars, I suppose. Oh yeah, yeah. So. Other than just a, you remember the movie The Blob? Of course. Well, that's that's where the Venom came from, apparently, because he landed in a, in the, uh, uh, the last Sam Raimi, just in a like meteorite in Central Park. That's right. <laughs> James Arness in the original, as the Bob, as I recall? 59? No, you're thinking of the thing. I am thinking of the thing. Shame on me. Steve McQueen in the Bob. It was a bunch of jelly that was the Blob. That's the right. Blob. Steve McQueen in the Blob, though, right? There we go. And if anyone has a white Vega in the parking lot, your lights are flashing. Your lights are flashing. Any other, any other uh, Spider-Man or Venom questions? Hell, I'd even, I mean, and again, if, if it's not disrespectful, Dave, uh, happy to talk Iron Man as well, because, good Lord, I mean, you know. Neat stuff, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't want to hurt the Venom fans, especially this dude who's wearing the T-shirt. Like, you better not talk about Spider-Man. I'm gonna talk about Venom for God's sake. Good Lord. But uh, no, any other, any other thoughts or questions or stuff, guys? Sir. Spider-Man's webbing we know dissolves. Does what does Venom leave all over the city? That's a good question. I don't think you want to know. It's fantastic. Okay, let's take a break here and uh, get into a little more information about our sponsor today. This episode of Word Balloon is brought to you by Aftershock Comics. I'm sure you've seen the Aftershock titles on the racks of your favorite comic shops. A bunch of fresh high concepts written and drawn by your favorite creators. One of my personal favorites, the spy series Jimmy's Bastards from Garth Ennis and Russ Braun. Pestilence from Frank Terry and Oleg Okunev where the 14th century Black Plague is actually revealed to be the first recorded zombie outbreak. Good idea, Frank. Or the very early years of Vlad the Impaler in The Brothers Dracul from Colin Bunn and Mirko Kolak. All of these creators and more came to Aftershock to tell their kind of stories with no rules, no forced continuity, exactly what Michelini was just talking about. Just a new platform to tell great fresh concepts. Anything can happen in these books. You should check them out. Beyonder is a very interesting book that combines current conspiracy theories with ties from century past, Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair. There's Monstro Mechanica, a new series starring Leonardo da Vinci, his female apprentice Isabel and their wooden robot from Paul Aller and Chris Evenweiss. Uh, that trade is already out. You can also get Hot Lunch Special by Elliot Real and Jorge Fornes and uh, Lollipop Kids. We heard about that on our last episode from Adam and Aiden Glass doing the writing, father and son team, and Diego Yapur. That's a really great concept involving old world villains, monsters, coming over uh, on the boat uh, to Ellis Island with uh, these kids' grandparents. And uh, a secret code and a secret way to fight these monsters has been handed down through the generations. And this one young kid uh, who is dyslexic discovers that he has a power to uh, discover and fight these monsters. Lollipop Kids from Adam and Aiden Glass and Diego Yapur. I think you'll find something that you'll enjoy reading at Aftershock Comics. In the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to more Aftershock creators about their books, but you don't have to wait. Go to their website, check out full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on how to order these books through your local shop at aftershockcomics.com. All right, let's get back into our conversation now with Dave Michelini on Word Balloon. Oh my God, sir, back there. 
what is your biggest takeaway from the Max McCarney uh, series? Mm. I, I, that wasn't my idea. Uh, the, the editor and I, Jim Salopin was very good when he was editing it. Uh, he gave me a great deal of freedom. And I was writing the kind of stories I wanted to write. When the new editor came in, uh, he was more hands-on, more commercial. He wanted to make it successful and make money. And uh, I, just, I remember he wanted to do, a, he said, we're going to bring in Peter Parker's ostensibly dead parents. Yeah. I, I, I juggled that subplot for a year without knowing what they were. He didn't know if they were his real parents, if they were robots, if they were aliens. He just thought it would be cool to have the parents come back. So I had to spend a page every month juggling these characters. I didn't know what they were. Wow. So, um, I, and Max was my he was, he was big on crossovers and, and guest stars and all this. The last year or so, I was just treading water, trying to stay alive, and I, that's the reason I finally left the book. I just so I, I realized this when I, again looking up for this eight-page Venom story, realized they, they pointed out something I did in, in an issue of just the adjectiveless Spider-Man uh, during you know, Maximum Carnage mm -hmm. that I had written. I, I had no memory of writing that story. Wow! I looked wow! Up, Where's my name? Yeah, because I was like I say, I was. Just doing the best I could to try to be entertaining with stories I didn't know anything about or care about. And forgive me, was this was this leading up to the Clone Saga, the original Clone Saga, or was this? Oh yeah, I left. Ago? I left before the Clone Saga. Okay, because I wouldn't you, have done that. Yeah, well, honestly, man, it, but it sounds like the same problem that those creators had in terms of trying to satisfy the commercial needs of Marvel, but still telling a satisfying story and everything. And of course, that's the trick that the successful creators are able to do. I'm just, I, I'm a big believer you do something, you do a good story, Yeah. I don't want it. Don't worry about selling. The quality will sell if you do a good story. Damn straight, absolutely, man. But yeah, that's, wow. I mean, no, it's, it, it's fascinating. Joe Rubenstein was just on two hours ago, and we were talking about sometimes it's like, do people who read the stories and love the stories want to know about some of the back, the stuff that's happening behind the scenes with the business and everything? And it's like, well, sometimes that informs the product that we get. And, and as much as you don't want to go over, you know, bad feelings or, or whatever, or disagreements and stuff like that. Again, I mean, we're left with the product every month, and it's got to come out, as you said, it's got to come out every month, hence the two fill-ins that you had to suffer through. Uh, there, there was just two of the fill-ins. There were about six, about ten. There you go. But I, I, I don't think, I don't know if you guys care about the stuff back until afterwards, because the only things you guys really need to tell us if you like the stories, if you like the comics, that's what you're paying for, not, not, sure. not our problems. <laughs> well, again, I mean, and again, I guess because I do the podcast and stuff, sometimes I am interested in the, in the behind-the-scenes oh, yeah, stuff. I was too. You know. I love stuff like that. Yeah, man. You know, well, yeah. As a fan. Yeah. yeah. And again, not, not, to, not to, you know, point fingers at people. You ruined Spider-Man as far as, you know, editors and, and people that are misjudged <laughs> in terms of what they do. But no, it is. It's like, well, what, you know, what, where did things go wrong when there were a bunch of very talented... I mean, even during the Clone Saga, very talented creators and stuff, writers and artists. They're excellent. You know, but again, it's, you know, feeding the beast. Yikes. Yeesh. Sir. You mentioned before about Flash Thompson. Um, Agent Venom. And, uh, I mean, Flash Thompson, I mean, he had this great goal of first as an enemy of Peter Parker and then as a best friend, and then they... Had him as a hobgoblin, you know, very briefly is set up as a hobgoblin. Yep. And so, what was the thought process of having him you know, take over, in a sense, for Eddie Brock for, for a period of time? I mean, I didn't, you know, the whole rationale of this. I, I never read those stories. I don't know. Yeah, I talked to Rick about him uh, on my podcast and stuff, and my guess was, yeah, to to have a, di you know, obviously the symbiote with a different person and a chance to make. A potentially more heroic character, but it had more of that Jekyll and Hyde feel of if you know he's with the symbiote for too long, the symbiote will take over. So there was the danger. It was it was an interesting exercise for me as a reader, and I think Rick again is a competent writer. But yeah, again, it's like no Venom is Eddie Brock, and that's the relationship. And again, uh, in fact, my conversation with Stegman, we we did a podcast leading up to the con. And he said, you know, um, 
They 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 need to they you know they balance each other out. Peter Parker and Eddie Brock, and it's like they kind of need to be together. I don't know. I mean, Donny Cates is everyone liking Donny Cates' current run on uh, Venom? Is it you know? I see a couple nuts. All right, there we go. I see a few knots and stuff. And Donnie's a very talented writer. And it's Eddie again. Oh, just because I haven't read this stuff doesn't mean I'm condemning it. I just like oh, to say, no. it's just in care of that. I think they, they, he's a great stuff and it's popular, you know, so you can't argue with that. <laughs> no, and, it's, and I get too, you know, it's, I, I would imagine from a writer's standpoint with creators and stuff, it's almost like a girlfriend or something. It's like, all right, that was my time with that girl and now I'm moving on to other relationships. Okay. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Who else? I was curious if if you had been able to do Venom as a woman like you claimed, would you have done any, was there any sort of story you had in mind or something you would have done different? Oh, I'm sure it would have done different because her, her motivations were completely different from Eddie Brock's. But I never got to the point of figuring out stories because I just had the general concept and motivation of the character when I brought it to uh, Jim Salcrop and changed it to Eddie Brock, and then I kept moving in that direction, so I've never really thought about any future stories with the original idea. Were there other Eddie Brock stories that you didn't get a chance to tell? Obviously, you say you're struggling with this eight-pager, or not struggling, but trying to find the focus. The, the, the struggle I'm doing with the eight-pager is because they didn't tell me it was going to be within continuity. I can't keep continuity straight with Marvel. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they've done. So I, I come up with stuff. I was I agreed to do it because I was I was going to do a story with a character they had created in Amazing Spider-Man called Humbug. Mm -hmm. He's a silly character, mm -hmm. but he's an interesting character. He was a um, an entomologist working at Empire State University. His 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 um, funding was canceled, and it sent him off the deep end because the insects were his friends. He was that into it, so he became a villain called Humbug. And he wore these bandoliers of Walkmans. It would, it would be, what do you call them today? Like iPods MP or, players, or yeah, MP3 players. These okay. days. But, and he would use the magnified <laughs> sounds of insects as weapons. You mm -hmm. know? Oh yeah? Well take this. Learn to fear the cry of the Australian dung beetle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was silly. It was silly. But it was funny, it was a character. But the thing is, the reason he would, I, I thought he would go good with Venom because first off, he's a silly character, you wouldn't expect him to stand up against Venom. But what does he use as a weapon? Sounds. One of the two things that can hurt Venom. Also, there's the connection. Venom considers himself a villain. Uh, I mean, <laughs> a victim. Victim, thank you very sure, much. Sure, uh, Victim, and he had been wrong. Humbug, the guy, I forget the professor's name, was considered himself a victim, and he was wrong. And that could be something that could touch, made an ending, an unexpected ending. First off, you see this silly guy who's, who's taking on Venom, and then you have uh, this thing at the end where you know Venom understands this guy, where he comes from, and they, they don't kill each other. Uh, I was doing my research, and looked up and found out the last time, first off, they gave Humbug superpowers, because nobody seems to write, be able to write characters who don't have superpowers. Um, they made him join a superhero or a, or a, a group, a hero group, because you can't have anybody who's not in a hero group. And, and then at the very end, the last guy who wrote him had Shang-Chi tear his head off. Kind of hard to have a character that's not a head. You know, <laughs> head. So and I, I looked up uh, black, uh, black, black Cat, when I was writing it, there was one black cat, and like you look up the Marvel page online, it's, she's got like 15, 16 black cats. There's zombie black cat, there's venomized black cat, there's Earth-12 black cat, all this stuff. I can't get that, so I kept running into, they wanted to use that, that couldn't use Humbug, and they wanted to use a character that Venom had fought, and just tell the story from her viewpoint, I can see that. But I kept running into things, I would, I would get something, I remember the editor I'm working for loved the plot I came up with. Four days later, he came out with all these things. He had sent it up. The, he's called the chain of command. Say, well, well, next time we see him, they did this, and they didn't talk about that. And she said, oh, I'm supposed to put in continuity? I don't understand. Okay, and so I made changes, but then it, it negated something, something else that they'd done over the years. And, it's, and it's, that's the reason that I had the, the problem with the character. Understood. 
it, it, given it, that it's an eight pager as well, are those tough to write? Because the, the brevity of it? They're tough to write well. They're sure. They're tough to do something interesting. You have to kind of take, you know, short shortcuts. Uh, on the other hand, Roger Stern wrote one of the best Spider-Man stories, The Kid Who Loves Spider-Man. Absolutely. That was a short story. Absolutely. Sometimes lightning strikes. It hasn't hit me lately, but uh, we can hope for the future. But. <laughs> I understand. Was Oh, sir, please. It, you were going to have a woman originally as Venom. The first part of the question is, did you actually have a, did you get as far as like developing a name or, I mean, other than, you know, why she needed him? And if you had, I was thinking, I mean, if you don't count the black cat from Amazing Spider-Man 194, who was villain, but also almost like a lover of Peter Parker, that would have been very significant to have the first great female villain in the Spider-Man history. That would have been something. I mean, I don't know if you talk about that, how that would have impacted his history going forward. I, I had very, did very little thinking beyond the motivations. I, I was still in the process of putting teasers in and, and setting up the character. As far as the name, the name Venom came from Eddie Brox. He, he was, after he lost his credentials as a, a real reporter, he was doing like a, Aliens Ate My Mother stories for the tabloids and spewing Venom against politicians and stuff. I doubt seriously if the woman would have been named Venomette, but... No, I didn't have a name. I didn't have any other than the origin. I didn't have anything. Were there other aspects of Eddie Brock without the symbiote to explore? Oh, I think many. I mean, I got into his... There's a, char a character named, named Anne Weying in the movie. Oh, that's another character I came up with. She was his ex-wife, Eddie Brock's ex-wife. I don't know if he's... I think she's... I don't know if she's actually his wife or his ex-wife in the movie, but yeah, you know, I think we did I end up introduce his parents, his father, definitely at one point. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to explore about. Interesting. Sir, um, did you ever meet uh, Steve Ditko? Oh, that's a fair question. Is with his passing? Never did. No. About his influence on you. I mean, the, the story I've heard, and I forget if it's in that. Um, in that British documentary, Searching for Steve Ditko, where they said that um, Stan and Steve had very different ideas. You know, Ditko being a big Ayn Rand guy and everything, you know, Spider-Man would swing over a group of protesters, uh, college students or something, and he'd say, look at those dirty hippies. Mm -hmm. Then Stan would come in and embrace it and put, I'm with you, kids. <laughs> I mean, what, um, what, how did Ditko influence you? I, I never met Steve. Uh, he drew a couple of backup stories that I wrote along the way. I never, you know, communicated with him at all. I started reading Spider-Man when I was in college, and I think the first issue was like 65 or 66, which uh, was already John Romita. So Ditko didn't really influence me at all. And that's interesting to learn as time has gone on that Ramita Sr. really did write a lot of those stories and at least plot, you know, started with the plot, Stan dialogued a lot, but that I know that as time has gone on, I think Ramita Sr. has claimed a lot more, and rightfully so. You know, I mean, uh, you know, that, no, it started with me, and, you know, I know he's told anecdotes, and I've heard from John Jr. as well, that they'd be taking a car trip and stuff, and, you know, literally, like, what do you think if Spider-Man did this this time? Mm -hmm. You know, and stuff like that. So, did Todd ever talk about Todd's influence on, uh, on Venom? Todd's pictures, well, I don't know if you know how comics were written back then. There was something called Marvel. Instead of writing a full script, which is mostly what's done today, and mostly what DC's always, always doing, it was done Marvel style, basically. A writer would write a plot, mine's were about five or six pages, prose, single space. That was sent to the penciler. The penciler would break down the story and the visuals, then the artwork was sent to the writer for the dialogue, sound effects, captions, etc. Then it went to the letterer and the anchor and the colors. So I was writing my dialogue from Todd McFarlane's pictures, and they were wonderful. They were exciting. They were new. He, he's a terrific storyteller. He told the stories clearly. Um, he was thoroughly professional. I remember one point I, I said, I, I try to. 
No, we're good. Yeah. We're, I know. We'll, we'll oh, yeah. notice back there. There we go. There you go. <laughs> yep. Um, anyway, I, 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 I try to do stuff that the artist, an artist is going to draw better if he's drawing something he or she likes. So I asked Todd once, uh, through Jim Salicrow, if there's any characters he liked to write. And Todd, and this was just early on, and Todd's reply, again, through Jim Salicrow, was he, he's new and he didn't want to seem pushy or anything. He, he wouldn't mind write, writing a character, drawing a character with a cape. Okay, that doesn't limit me much. So I did a story with the Prowler, and he had a cape. But he, he, he didn't try to influence, try to put his stuff in. He drew what was in the plot. The, it helped make my dialogue more fun because I was having fun working for those pictures. So he had a, a very strong influence on on my writing it, everywhere, not just Venom. Who else got Venom right as far as other artists that you worked with? There was someone. No, other artists. Well, yeah. Oh, artists. Yeah, uh, not writers. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh, I don't know. That you were. God, he's been drawn so many different ways by different people. I think Todd's. Is, well, you said Larson obviously followed Todd, right? And he did a lot of. Didn't he do some? Oh, it was, it was funny. Eric doesn't like me. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know why he hates me actually. Ah. But no, he wrote a letter to uh, Wizard Magazine calling me a clown. Calling my work stupid, and, and he said, "Oh, he was one of these guys who said, you know, Venom isn't it? It's a cliche. He just wants to kill Spider-Man. Totally miss the idea that nobody else wanted to do that." Um, but he said, "Well, Todd came in. Todd gave him this. Todd gave him the big long tongue and the drool. Eric gave him that. So he's he's giving you know the credit to, to other people, to credit to Todd." Todd for things that I created, the things that he himself created. So I, I just, I thought, it was, I thought it was a bit cartoony and the whole big jaw and so forth. I, I, it, was, it was okay. <laughs> but gosh, who does, you know, look, look at the way he's drawn now. Everybody's like 80 feet tall and some, can you hear that or not? I'm talking loud enough. Okay, 80 feet tall. He's got, you know, I, I don't know. I can't, I, I haven't written him with anyone else since then. Well, there was that one. In, Ron Landrum, that's right. And oh, year, issue 150, I did another eight pager. Uh -huh. But Ron's got I like Ron. Oh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Do you want to, you don't want to, uh, it sounds like you don't want to name who the editor was after Jim Salicrow. No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad nobody could look I'll look it up. Yeah, we'll look it up. That's all right. That's what Google is for. No, I understand. I don't, I don't like to talk about negatively about fellow professionals, but someone asks me a question and I'll answer it. I hear you. Man. Except by me. No, I understand. Um, any any other Venom thoughts, kids? Sir? Why was Carnage role as like a weird offspring of Venom and not given like his own backstory? Because I didn't want symbiotes to overrun Marvel Universe, which they've done since. Uh, <laughs> I wanted, I don't like, I, you know, you have Superman, they have 1,200 people from uh, Krypton. Uh, he stops being unique. Right now, I saw a panel from a comic that was reprinted that had five spider characters in it. Spider-Man, uh, Kid Arachnid, Silk, two others. Yep, Kane. The, the more times, I, I didn't want more symbiotes, but I wanted to show the difference between you know, uh, Venom and, and a, a Venom that had no morality or ethics. So I thought the best way to do that was to have Venom spawn one, rather than, and, and, and it spawned on Earth, so it's different. Instead of you know being from another planet, that was the reason for the carnage's difference. Well, it, the carnage symbiote was more affected by Cleese Cassidy than um, these venom symbiote was affected by Eddie Brock, became more vicious, more more psychopathic, and so forth, and that's because he was born on Earth. And if in, in uh, Lethal Protector, I realized what I'd done. I'd open the door for more symbiotes. I, I made sure that they took the last five, took the last five seeds from Venom to create five more symbiotes. At the end, I turned them to dust. I thought, okay, no more fast symbiotes in Marvel. Oh, yeah, right. They found a way. They always find a way. I should have known. Yeah, exactly. But man. anyway, that's, that's why. Is that heartbreaking, honestly, as, as a work-for-hire guy, in terms of you create something and then, you know, I mean, it's it obviously... 
intellectually you understand that it's not your character, they can do what they want, but yeah, I mean, is that after, you know, your service, is it kind of heartbreaking? Not heartbreaking, it's disappointing. Okay. Uh, it didn't break my heart, I know what I was doing. No one put a gun to my head and create a character. Sure. No, no one put a gun to my head and said, quit. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but it's disappointing to see things that, that I wouldn't have done, but you know, you're gonna do that. I did things to people when I took over series and stuff that I sure. thought was better, so I'll take the blame too. Um, I, it's funny, when you when you said that uh, Todd had a uh, recommendation that he wanted a cape, I wondered if you were gonna say that maybe there were elements of Spawn that came from Venom, and I wonder if you ever, uh, you know, thought about that. Not really. Okay. Okay. I mean, I again, I kind of see the Spider-Man in Spawn a little bit in his design, but that's me. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's designed by the same guy that maybe designed as far as character stuff. I didn't. Know sure. It was I just thought a, a little bit more of like his when he when Spawn was being extreme, that it was kind of in that same vein as as Venom's extremity, you know, extreme behavior and stuff, but whatever. Okay. But, you know, I know you've been doing recently uh, some other licensed characters in prose. I did, I mean, maybe it's been a while, but or didn't you do, like, some Green Hornet stories and stuff uh, for Moonstone? And What are you doing? Well, what are you doing? No, now, I, I was supposed to, but they never sent me the Bible. Oh, shit. Never followed up. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So what have you, what you, you been doing lately? Uh, I've got a, I'm doing a couple of Kickstarters. Excellent. Talk, tell us about the Kickstarters, man. Oh, there's a character called the Living Corpse that a couple of guys in Jersey and or Maryland do. And it's pretty cool stuff. And they asked me if I do a story. I said, oh, okay. Is it prose or is it comics? No, it's comics. Okay. Comics. Um, it's the Kickstarter's going to start. Let me come to my table. I've got some of the early artwork. It's fantastic. It's a character called Matt Hex I introduced. And it's kind of a team up between these two guys. It's fun. Hey man, honestly, Superman, all the other Iron Man, all, all the all the various certainly your runs on Spider Man, beautiful stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I want to you know we want we want to follow your work and we want to continue to enjoy new uh, Dave Michelini uh, creations. Okay, there's the other Kickstarter then. Talk to me. Uh, <laughs> Don't hold back. Well, but Brett Levins, you know the artist, Brett yep. Levins, great artist. Uh, he and I did something called the Boz Chronicles for Epic Comics back in the '80s. And uh, he and I both signed contracts to do a one-shot uh, Kickstarter for a guy named Drew Ford, who uh, was responsible for putting the six issues, six stories we did before, into a trade paperback a few years ago. And uh, he, he kickstarts, gets the funding, and then uh, IDW publishes. So great. We're going to see if a uh, one-shot will work, and if it does, then we'll do more. Have you launched the, the Kickstarter, or is it is it still coming? No, I think it's going to start in October as well. I'm not sure. Uh, Brett couldn't start drawing until September or something. Is this your first forays into crowdfunding as far as... Uh, yeah. Okay. What do you think? About the, I mean, I not just know if we're getting the money. Well, and I respect that, absolutely. No, no I'm, honestly, man, I'm really glad because... You know that in in your in your in your years at Marvel, the pinnacle was to draw and write for a DC or Marvel. And now, as I'm sure you're well aware, it seems to be the new dynamic as far as being a, a pro is make your name at DC and Marvel, and then hey, by the way, okay, Fox fans, join me over here. I'm making I'm making this other stuff, and it, and it really seems like as I speak to creators that are younger and stuff, that, you know, hey, I'm going to do my time at DC and Marvel. It's like college. And as opposed to the pinnacle of your career used to be DC and Marvel in the, in the comic business. And just your, what your thoughts are on that, seeing that change in the business. Oh, I don't know. I just I think it's incredible and wonderful that, that so many people can get stuff published without just going to Marvel or DC or Archie or Dell or... Sure, Dell. Yes, please. <laughs> Bring back the monster heroes of Dell. I was, I was thinking of getting some more ducks, you know. <laughs> sure, man. Scrooge. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Folks, any uh, final uh, Venom thoughts as we, uh, as we wrap up? It's almost, the, the show's almost over as well. Hey, can I just ask you what was the number of runs? I know you wrote Spider-Man, but the... Uh, Amount? No, no, no. I know you wrote Spider-Man, but in terms of Amazing Spider-Man... 
in terms of the number as far as when your run started and when it ended. I'm trying to remember. For amazing, specifically? Jeez, yeah. I, I, I think it was, I think I started regularly on like 294 or five. And then, I don't know, my last one, there were some fill-ins, but I think my last one was 285, 385 maybe, something like that. After, right after Roger Stern's run, an amazing, in terms of who you succeeded as far as the writer, who was right before you? Yeah, I, I think the people just before me were some fill-ins. I don't remember who, I, I, that sounds right. But I don't, I don't remember who it was. No, just asking, like number 289 was kind of that historic issue where Ned Leeds died as Hobgoblin. And I don't know if you were, I know it was right before you started if you were involved in that decision. No, no, I was, at that time I was writing Webb. So that's, I was pretty concentrating on that. Okay. Because then they built in the Webb 30, I think they did the whole backstory about Ned Leeds being the Hobgoblin. Of course, they then changed it, mm. but, you know, I don't know thoughts on that. Well, regardless, Dave, great body of work. Glad to hear that you've got some cool new stuff that you're, that you're burning through as well. And uh, I, uh, I hope they at least invite you to the uh, red carpet for Venom. Uh, I, it's, it's Sony. It's not Marvel, but I asked my contacts at Marvel. They said they asked Sony, and Sony said, yeah. But I haven't gotten my invitation yet. I hear you. I hear you. So I'm at maybe my local multiplex. <laughs> uh, don't, don't use movie pass. <laughs> you get a credit in the movie? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I have no idea. Uh, they've been pretty good. Uh, special thanks to uh, with the stuff that they've used to mine at Marvel, but I have no idea what Sonny's going to do. Are you being, more importantly, compensated for your contribution with Venom? According to my contract that I wrote, uh, that I signed with them, I'm supposed to, but that was with Marvel, and I, I don't know if there's a, a, an out with because this is Sony, but we will see. I hope so. so. After October 5th, if you see the headlines of David McElhinney, uh files a lawsuit against him. <laughs> I understand, man. No, it's, it's only right, man, and I'm glad that at least it seems in the last few years you guys are getting compensation for your contributions. It's definitely better, at least from Marvel. Okay. I haven't dealt with DC about that, but... Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah man. Yeesh. More to come. <laughs> well, dude, honestly, I appreciate the conversation, and, and I appreciate your candor and your, uh, your continued creative output, so please continue success, and uh, I hope we can talk again. Well, I appreciate everyone who stayed all this time. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Thank you. Dave Michelini, of course, uh, Venom is opening this weekend. I guess we'll see. I hope it's great. I'm, uh, I'm all for great superhero movies with a little different twist. And it's pretty clear from the trailer that we're going to get a little something different. Yay for difference. Yay for same. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp already out uh, this week on video and on demand and uh, DVD. Um, I uh, can't wait to. You know, I still haven't seen it. Isn't that embarrassing? But it's true. Haven't seen that. Haven't seen Incredibles 2 still. Haven't seen the Titans cartoon. I, uh, You know, you can tell from the output of Word Balloon, I just got busy this summer in a good way. And that means uh, more conversation for us to enjoy, uh, both myself when I'm uh, having it firsthand, and then I can share it with everybody here. Thanks a lot, everybody. Honestly, uh, great feedback on uh, the tear that we've been on, really, since the summer. And uh, fell into some very interesting newsy uh, podcasts. I would say my Mark Wade conversation, where we talk about Comics Gate, uh, is certainly on the front pages again as uh, he is uh, facing an interesting lawsuit uh, that I'm confident uh, he'll win, frankly. Uh, but also, uh, you know, again, uh, it was great to talk to Christina Merkler about Banned Books Week and the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Great talking to Ashley Robinson, get my Star Trek fix, uh, and also talk about her Kickstarter science. But, uh, you know, and then, of course, all these great Terrificon panels. I'm really glad you've been enjoying them. I hope you listen to the other episode that's out today, Superman at 80. Um, you know, great stuff. And uh, really pleased uh, at all the contacts that I made at Terrificon. Looking forward to seeing everybody at New York Comic Con and uh, setting up some more great conversations for you in the uh, days and weeks ahead right here on Word Balloon. 
Word Balloon was brought to you again by the League of Word Balloon listeners. I appreciate your support, League. If you like what you hear at Word Balloon and uh, you feel like you want to help the cause out, you can subscribe to Word Balloon. Is it worth the price of a comic book a month? Is it worth a dollar a month? Go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or go to wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. And Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Shaking things up now at your local comic shop. Check out some of the great titles. Beyonders by Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair. A Walk Through Hell by Garth Ennis and Goran Sutsuka. Animosity by Marguerite Bennett and Raphael De La Tour. Baby Teeth with Donny Cates and Gary Brown. Lollipop Kids from Adam and Aiden Glass and Diego Yapur. Just tremendous books. I'm telling you, every genre is covered. You will find high concepts with wonderful teams of writers and artists. They're beautiful books. They are great stories. And I'm very pleased that they've uh, chosen to be a sponsor for Word Balloon these uh, last few weeks. And uh, I think it's great. Check out full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books to order through your local comic shop at AfterShockComics.com. Thanks again for listening. Uh, More Word Balloon coming to you next week, post-New York Comic Con. Uh, Lots of people waiting to talk to me. And uh, I am very excited to get them on and uh, share these conversations with you. Again, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2018.